0: All right, so First Kings 19, let's uh, go ahead and read that. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as mine, excuse me, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazel of king over Syria, and anoint Jehu as king over Israel, and Elijah anoint him as your prophet in your place. I have reserved seven thousand in Israel, all those all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being here for being our Father, and for constantly showing us your goodness. We pray this morning that you will overflow with your kindness, your mercy, your grace, and your goodness, and that you will speak um, through my voice this morning, God, and that um, your people will will hear your voice. You said that your sheep know your voice, God, and I just pray that um, we're able to hear and understand what you have for us this morning, God. We, we bless you this Father's Day, God, and every, every day following that. Thank you so much for all that you are, God, in your name. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit here about Elijah and his journey. And so I've heard, you know, this passage, especially the latter part, you know, where Elijah is in the cave and he, um, you know, sees the wind and the earthquake and uh, the fire And then the still small voice, and I'm sure a lot of us have heard that, probably, you know, preached, spoken about multiple times, right? And to me, every time I hear it, I get something different out of it. And so when when Josh asked me to speak, I was meditating on different things that... asked God, I said, "What would you? What do you want me to share on Father's Day?" I feel like you know it's a special day. What What is it you want me to share? And um, what he said to me in the voice of the Father was, uh, "What would you want to hear? If you were in the congregation, what would you want to hear?" And so I began thinking about things uh, in Scripture that I really, you know, enjoy hearing and that I always get a lot out of. That I feel like I could share. That I feel like you know I have the information and authority to be able to share that and um still small voice came up so I looked up the scripture and you know I read the part where he's in the cave and he stands out uh and sees all all the phenomena and um God speaks to him in a still small voice and I I wanted to get the context of it which is why I read you know all, all of that for you but I did not realize that when Elijah was in the cave and he hears the still, small voice that right before that he had just walked himself into the wilderness prepared to die. He was done. He he had given up on life. Right. But if you look, the chapter before that is the chapter where Elijah. um, He challenges the prophets of Baal. So, if you don't know the story, I'm going to summarize it real quick for you. Um, because I feel like it's important that we understand the context so that we can understand where Elijah is at and why he's feeling the way he's feeling. Um, because a lot of times we do take scripture out of context, right? Guilty, that before. And sometimes God gives us scripture, right? And it may be out of context, but he gives us words through scripture for us, okay? I'm not denying that. But sometimes we stand and we're preaching scripture out of context, and that is not what we need to do. Everybody with me? We good this morning? All right, cool. So, um... All right, so here's here's what happens. Elijah is... um, You know, walking with God, he has already been called as a prophet, uh, you know, for 18, 17 chapters. And so he's in this place, and Israel at the time has fallen into idol worship. The king uh, married this woman named Jezebel, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And um, she introduced all the prophets of, uh, excuse me, all the gods of her previous background and so Baal was one of the main gods and so she introduced Baal worship into Israel if we know the 10 commandments which they were supposed to follow at this time one of them is you shall not have any other gods before me right and so Israel had already fallen to this because this woman had come and convinced the king her husband um, that this was you know okay so (laughs) Elijah his whole prophetic Journey is to turn Israel's heart back to God, which means turning them away from Baal worship. And at this time, prophets have already um, been turned from prophesying for God to prophesying for Baal. And so he's at this point, he, um, Elijah has received the word from God that um, until King Ahab decides this isn't okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to make sure it doesn't rain anymore. Right? No big deal. So, um, for three and a half years, there's zero rain in Israel. It's complete drought, famine. And Elijah gets this word, go to the king and tell him, I will release rain for you. It's time. Three and a half years, long enough. I'm going to go ahead and let the floodgates open. You're going to have rain, which means you'll have crops. You'll be able to live a little better than you already do. And so... Elijah does that, but first he challenges the prophets of Baal and tells them, If you really believe that your God is the true God, let him prove himself. And I will also let my God prove himself. So they're at the top of this mountain where all the altars are. And uh, the altar of God has been destroyed, whereas the altar of Baal, you know, they use it pretty often. So he challenges the Baal prophets and he tells them, You go first. Let's see what happens. So all through the day, they're dancing and singing and screaming and offering sacrifices to Baal. And Elijah, the whole time, is just laughing. He even taunts Baal on the toilet. Like, what is going on here, you know? And so nothing happens. They even, I think scripture says, you know, they're cutting themselves. They're doing all these things in worship to Baal. And nothing happens. Finally, Elijah is like, look, this isn't happening. I'm tired of it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get jugs of water, and I want you to dump it on the altar of my Lord. And I want you to add wood to the altar, and I want you to dump water on that. Go ahead and just soak it up real nice. Make it flood. And what God's going to do is he's going to bring fire down onto this altar that's soaking wet. You know, they already don't believe that Elijah's going to prove himself. So he makes it harder for himself. Which means when God does prove himself, it's going to be even more powerful for them to see, right? So, because a lot of times when uh, in scripture, when people's hearts are not turned the way they're supposed to, the scripture uses the phrase, their hearts were hardened, right? It takes a whole lot of water and a whole lot of power to unharden some hearts. So that's Elijah's goal in doing this, right? And so Elijah had spent, you know, 12, 24 hours watching these prophets go crazy, hurting themselves, praying to Baal. And all he does is say, Lord, open their ears, open their eyes, consume this altar. And God sends down fire and it says, the Lord God, was, it was the fire of the Lord God and it consumed everything on the altar and around the altar. Lick, there wasn't a... Um, there wasn't a wet spot left on the altar. It licked all the water up and, and the flames came down. And it said at that moment that all the ones in Israel that were there watching turned their hearts back to God. Yeah. And then he, you know, killed the prophets of Baal, but, you know, that it is what it is. But so <laughs> um, that's where we're at, right? He had this huge victory where he did what he set out to do, proved God was real, and turned the ones that were there, Israel, their hearts back to God. And so Jezebel, Ahab is mad about this. Ahab tells Jezebel, and Jezebel's mad. He killed all your prophets. He, you know, he proved that God was real, and you're still wanting to have Baal worship. And so Jezebel sends this message to him and says, all right, You took out my prophets, so I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to them. Now, when I'm thinking about this, right, Elijah is at this high place in his prophetic mission. He has already done what he set out to do. He has accomplished what he set out to do, yet he received, it wasn't even a verbal warning from Jezebel. It was a messenger coming to Send a message, and the Bible literally says when he read that. So he, all he's doing is reading this. He's not even looking Jezebel in the face. I feel like if I, you know, look somebody in the face and they threaten me, it's a lot more than if I'm just kind of reading a letter. I'm going to feel a little shaken, but, you know, I can step back a little bit. Whereas if I'm standing right there, they could easily, you know, hurt me right there. We good? Okay, right. So, um... This, just picture this as the victory of Elijah, okay? And so what happens is Jezebel begins to threaten Elijah. I'm trying not to take it out like my kids do. And so just one by one, the fear creeps in, right? And then you've got the doubt. And Jezebel just starts to. Get under Elijah's skin. Come back to that. So let's look for a minute and 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 talk about Jezebel, because you probably heard being in church settings the name Jezebel even today, right? Maybe some of you, yeah. And so, oh yeah, oh yeah. And so even in Revelation, we hear the name Jezebel. So we need to look and see who is Jezebel. Why does Jezebel have so much power over Elijah who just took out the prophets of Baal and proved that God was real? why does Jezebel have so much power over Elijah? So Elijah is terrified that he will die by the hands of Jezebel. Jezebel is a manipulator, an accuser. Skilled at causing identities to be questioned and doubted. She brought in the acceptance of pagan worship, which was clearly against Mosaic law. So see the manipulation right there. Okay. Job had Satan, the accuser. Jesus had the devil in the desert. And Eve had the serpent. Elijah had Jezebel. Okay, you see the connection of all these spirits or people or whatever you want to look at it. It's this voice of manipulation and accusation. The goal of this spirit is always to make the children of God question who they are and whose they are in order to stop an assignment, call, or even a life. Jezebel had managed to kill so many of Yahweh's prophets and Elijah knew this. And so when he was threatened by her, he eventually forgot everything true about himself. So he's no, no longer feeling this victory. Okay, He's no longer feeling victorious in what he did. Instead, he's just feeling defeated. It's like there are holes that have been poked in everything that he worked for and stood by until the point That he felt like he had to run away, and he was no longer standing, maybe. Okay? So here's where Elijah's at, right? So scripture says that he goes with his servant to Beersheba, which was part of Israel, or Judah, right? And then he goes further, leaves the servant there, and he goes alone. So he was not alone at first. And then he goes out into the wilderness by himself on this journey and sits under a broom tree. Why did Elijah go to a broom tree? Not to sweep. Um, He went to die, right? He was done. And so... Jezebel had gotten under, t- under his skin where he felt like he couldn't do anything else. Even though he's hearing the voice of God, he's seeing the power of God, but he feels like there's nothing left to do. And so he goes to die. What's very interesting about this point here, uh, about the this place that Elijah is at, is... Um, When this angel comes in, taps him on the shoulder, he wakes up and he sees a cake, right? I think it's really cool, this is just a sidebar, really there's no point in it, but I think it's really cool that the angel gives Elijah a cake, and you know, they say that the manna in the desert was a lot like Krispy Kreme donuts. The one lesson I'm learning from this is if I'm feeling sad... I just need to go eat some cake, right? Just give me some donuts and cake, and I'm going to feel better. At least have some strength for a little bit, right? So the angel gets him some cake, gives him some water. He eats it goes back to sleep. He's feeling all right. Maybe he's full. He needs a nap. So he goes back to sleep. So the angel taps him again and tells him that he has a long journey ahead of him. So... When I think of this with Elijah, I feel like I can relate. Just kind of going off to yourself, uh, um, shutting down, right? You ever been in shutdown mode? So for me, I've spent the last few years studying the Enneagram. And um, a lot of my friends are pretty tired of me talking about it. I low-key obsess about it. But I feel like it's really helped me personally. You're welcome to look it up. But it's a personality test and then there's a lot of information about it but my personality type based on the Enneagram and I totally relate but we have this flaw that we just we shut down and I have had to find healthier ways to not shut down and to cope with the things that I'm dealing with or the overwhelm or the stress or whatever but there are times where you know I've been at work all day and We've had the kids, maybe it's been a hard day, put them to bed, and I sit on the couch, and I'm done, right? Ten ten seasons of Friends, consider those binge-watched, right? They're all done. I've watched them all. That, That Talenti gelato that I just bought that's in the fridge, that's got five layers, and it's supposed to last me like, you know, four servings. I already ate that. It's gone. I just kept going, didn't realize it was empty, right? There are times where I feel like I have to do that, okay? And I have to find ways to get out of that. But listen, Elijah was not at shutdown point, okay? Elijah... He was not just vegging out. He was not just trying to get in a lone space. Jesus did this, right? He went to the garden a lot of times alone so that he could pray. But Elijah's not at this point. He's not finding a tree to rest under in order to recoup and go on with the rest of his prophetic assignment for God. He has packed up the fear and anxiety and allowed those thoughts to become despair in his heart to the point of completely giving up. So not only was Jezebel able to get under his skin. Hey Jeremy, if you're going to help me out. can only stop for so long now. Just up, huh? So he's packing up all these things. Not only was Jezebel getting under his skin, but he continued to carry the thoughts of doubt and the thoughts of despair and the thoughts of Death that Jezebel put into his heart with him. Okay? So, um, when Jeremy gets done with that, we're going to use the um, backpack here in a minute. Yeah, just as full as you can. It's fine. Awesome. Thank you. So, he's got this weight on his shoulder. And everywhere he walks, he can kind of feel it, right? He can kind of hear it. And he feels like even after this angel comes and feeds him, he hears the angel say, You got a long journey ahead of you. And he's like, All right, I'll do what I can. But I'm still feeling this despair. I'm still feeling this weight. How are we doing? Everybody good? Told you it wasn't typical, but I promise it's going to have a happy ending, okay? Yeah. All right. So when the voice of doubt creeps in, it can take us to a deep low, and that's where Elijah was, consumed by fear and loneliness. Now listen, remember I said that he went off with with a servant, but he left the servant there, okay? So he's, not only is he feeling alone, but he's putting himself in a situation to feel alone. A lot of times we feel these things but we have this support group around us and so we feel like we have to punish ourselves because we're not feeling sad enough <laughs> All
1: right. yeah
0: so we go out alone and sit alone and eat that talithi gelato by ourselves and we have somebody in the next room that could easily share it with us yeah. All right. right but Elijah has put himself in this situation when he's alone where he's alone and you Hear him talk to God this way. I'm all alone. There's nobody left. He just had a servant. And in the chapter before, he had uh, Ahab's servant that worked for him and even told him about the, the prophets that he had hidden for God. But Elijah has to go out to be alone and feel alone. That's also the power of Jezebel. Okay, that's also the power of that spirit of doubt, to drive you out and to feel alone, okay? And so it's at this point that Elijah prays for death, but instead an angel is sent gifting him with food, cake, and water twice so that he can continue on his journey, okay? Even when we're in a place where we feel like We are completely done. There is still going to be that life-giving spirit from God. Okay? All right, so you can go back into the scripture and read it if you want to. Feel free to take as many notes as you want. I have all this. I can send this to you as well. Um, So, you know, uh, give me your email address or whatever. I'll send it to you Um, because I don't want us to be here. I mean, we can be here till 5 if you want to be. That's fine. But um, in the scripture, the long journey that the angel says he has ahead of him is um, 40 days and 40 nights. Have we heard this before? Somebody traveling 40 days and 40 nights, right? This amount of time is very recognizable to us, and it brings us to three people specifically Noah, right? Moses, and Jesus, okay? Noah basically waits 40 days and 40 nights for a new beginning from judgment and for God's promise to be fulfilled, which we can definitely see some correlation here where Israel is being judged. And Elijah's goal as a prophet is to turn their hearts back to God. The promise, the the judgment and the promise. Okay, Jesus, though, had just been baptized. He heard that he was son of God from God, from the voice of the Father, right? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He gets up and the scripture says that he was driven into the desert by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, was dri- drove him into the desert where he spends 40 days and 40 nights and the devil is questioning his identity if you are the son of God, which he had just been told, right? And he tells... The devil, well, I am. And scripture says, basically, shut your mouth. Quit talking to me, right? 40 days and 40 nights of just this, okay? And that's what Jezebel does. And so we see the correlation in that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. And finally, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights interceding on behalf of the Israelites on Mount Sinai. Which is also known as, pause for dramatic effect. Horeb, which is the mountain that Elijah goes to, okay? So the Elijah, the mountain that Elijah goes for 40 days and 40 nights to for his journey, the mountain he stops at is Mount Sinai. It's Horeb. It's the same mountain that Moses also spends 40 days and 40 nights, sees the glory of God, receives the 10 commandments, all this stuff, right? And it's that same mountain, okay? This cannot be a coincidence. Okay? You with me? Everybody good? It was here where Elijah found himself at the end of his journey. Still has this weight, right? But he is finally here for 40 days and 40 nights, carrying around all the thoughts, all the fear, all the doubt. It can be said here at Mount Sinai, at Horeb, that Elijah was brought back to the beginning in order to remember what he was meant to do and who he was. Because think of it this way. Moses wrote the Torah, right? The The first, was it five books, Jeremy? First five books of the Old Testament, right? Moses wrote this because when God came on Mount Sinai and showed him his glory, he also showed him, as scripture says, the backside, which would be the past. And Moses was able to write down... Everything that had happened in the past that had not been recorded yet. So Moses writes all this, Genesis, Exodus, the biggest numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, Moses writes it all down. And so Elijah would know this. Okay? Because it was part of the priest, it was part of the teaching. It would be part of the prophets, the school, of the prophet slayer that Elijah has. To to learn all this and to hear the stories of God, whether it's word of mouth or reading from the scrolls, right? And so Elijah, it It's not coincidence that he's brought to this place that Moses was also brought to. And, you know, in his mind, he's thinking this seems familiar. This journey seems familiar. This place that I'm at seems very familiar. And so Elijah is brought back to the beginning in order to remember what he was meant to do and who he was. So Elijah follows the path of Moses and rests in the cave. And some some people believe that it might not have been the same cave as Moses. All this coincidence, he was probably in the same cave that Moses was in. You know, let's just say it was, okay? So he rests in the cave of Mount Sinai. And when the word of God comes to him, he's asking Elijah why he's there, Okay? Why are you here, Elijah? Do we remember what he says? I'm all alone, right? The prophets have all been either killed or turned to Baal. They've destroyed your altar. There's no one left, okay? Which is not true, but it's what he's choosing to believe himself because of the lies that Jezebel told him and, and made him feel and all the fear and all the doubt. Okay? All right, so at this point, um, he's asked to stand out of the cave. He's asked to come out of the cave where he was sitting and probably in fetal position crying, you know, he's not going to let me die, I just want to die. And so God asked him to stand out in front of this cave. And when he asked Moses to do that, he said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, right? He doesn't tell Elijah to do that. Elijah does put on a, a veil that he doesn't die and get blinded by the glory of god but what he sees in this in this point is really important for us to understand a lot of times we hear um, you know the wind came and the earthquake came and the fire came but god was not in that so we kind of ignore that but this whole journey the purpose of this whole journey is for elijah to remember and so if we're going to just ignore the wind and the earthquake And the fire, we're missing out on the important parts that God wants Elijah to remember. Okay? So, um, the powerful wind breaks the rocks of the mountain, an earthquake comes, and a fire. Elijah witnesses the power of the wind, and he feels the earthquake. Okay? So, he is experiencing the power of God in this moment. We need to think about it this way. The, one of the reasons he would need to experience the power of God is because if he had remembered the power of God, then Jezebel's words would not have shake, shaken him. Okay? So when Jezebel's message comes and he reads it, it's almost like he has his memory loss. Okay? Because that power that he saw consume the altar completely escapes his memory. Because if if God can come down and eradicate all this water here with fire from heaven, then he could protect me. From the pagan queen, right? Okay. so he's not even remembering this. So God shows him and lets him experience and feel his power. So even though God was not in them, they happened when God passed by. So God is still sending these things. It still is God. Sometimes when we hear this, we think it was just an earthquake. It was just a wind. Again, coincidence. God passes by when this comes, okay? We can't just ignore it because we want to get to the still small voice. We can't ignore the power just because we want to get there because the power is there for a reason, So, um, this demonstrates God's greatness. Elijah may recognize the powerful wind from the story of the Exodus, where a wind parted the Red Sea as Moses lifted up his staff. So, we think... Uh, with the Red Sea, that Moses lifts up his staff and God parts the Red Sea. And he does. But if we look at Scripture, it says that a wind was sent to part the Red Sea. And you know that Elijah knows this, right? He knows the story of his people being rescued from Egypt and that the wind parted the Red Sea, sent from God, right? So he sees this wind that breaks off part of the mountain, this powerful wind, And you know he's thinking about this, okay? The stories of Moses must have echoed in his head, causing him to recall the Lord descending upon Mount Sinai in fire and earthquake. Both of those things happen also with Moses, okay? So God kind of has a pattern here that Elijah probably is trying to remember, right? But he can't. And so God's, it, it all has a purpose, And Elijah knows personally the fire of God, as this was what just consumed the altar more than a month before, right? And this is all key, but it was the still small voice that Elijah knew the presence of God. He heard the still small voice, and he steps out further, covers his eyes, and hears the word of God. God's might and power was used to remind Elijah of what he is capable capable of, what God is capable of, to bring to remembrance everything that Elijah already knew about God. But it was the whisper of intimacy that made Elijah come to himself, okay? So Elijah is witnessing the power, but he cannot completely remember who he is, Until the whisper of intimacy comes. Okay, a lot of the time we're asking God, "Uh, I need you to take this from me. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And he doesn't, but then we end up back into similar situations, right? We're still carrying around the backpack of what just happened in the past. And it's going to probably happen again, maybe in a different way. But we're still stuck in that same pattern. That God just wants to come up next to us. But do you know who you are? Do you know what you are capable of? Because I'll do this for you because I'm a good father. I'm not going to give you a snake when you ask for bread, right? But do you know who you are? So this is the point that Elijah's at, right? He's hearing the whisper. And it's a lot like, um, well, I'll come back to that. Rewind. Okay. So, um, as he spoke to Yahweh, he explains how he felt and what was wrong. He repeats himself, right? Before the earthquake came, he says exactly the same thing. He said after the still small voice and the earthquake But God says three three things to him. I don't think God ignores him. I don't think God um, really even says, yeah, you're right. You know, he's not going to confirm everything Elijah said. But he's not going to ignore his feelings because he is a good father. But he approaches it in a different way by saying these three things. Go back the way you came. Basically saying, now that you remember who I am and who you are, take that journey again. See everything that Moses did. See everything you just passed for. Recall my goodness as you go through. Then he says, follow my words because you're my prophet. Remember who you are. Remember what I called you to do. And then he says, you're not alone. There is a remnant of 7,000 that have never even kissed. The prophet Baal, 7,000. Remember, I told you he's feeling alone. He leaves his servant so he can feel even more alone. And he knows that there's a small remnant. He doesn't know it's 7,000 until God tells him. But he's feeling alone. And now God's saying, this is who I am. This is who you are. Now, look, you're not alone. You can do this. I promise. Right? His promise. so um this is our diaper bag we've had it i think we've had the same bag since jonah maybe we might have had one other but um you know we would put diapers in change of clothes anything else we could put in it and now we don't have diapers so we usually fill it up with water bottles and snacks and snacks and snacks and snacks and snacks and change of clothes and a bunch of stuff and so like yesterday we went on a hike um, in Boone and uh, we, we like to do a lot of outdoorsy stuff and go to the zoo and stuff and a lot of times we need to be prepared because that one time you're not prepared is when you actually need it right when you're prepared you don't usually need it but um, like the time you pack you know three pairs of underwear you don't need it but the time you don't pack any underwear is when all three kids need extra underwear that just happens right so we try to be prepared but my kids aren't the ones that carry this backpack i sometimes katie but i usually try to carry this backpack and anywhere we go if we're walking through the zoo if we're walking five mile hike i'm i've got this backpack on my back it usually doesn't have jenga tiles in it It usually has change of clothes and stuff but i'm carrying this backpack around And you see, we pack this so that our kids have what they need. But because I'm the one that carries it, they don't have to worry or care about what's in it. And they don't have to care about the weight. Okay? When they are in need, all they have to do is ask. They don't have to carry it. They don't have to worry about it. All they have to do is ask. And the Father does this for us, right? He carries the weight of our lives. But we must ask him. Remember to turn to him and give it to him. Because he's not going to rip it off our shoulders and rip it off our backs. Because he doesn't violate us in that way. Instead... When we ask is when he will take it off, take the weight. You know, the Bible says when Jesus was on the cross, the weight of the world was on his shoulders, was not on our shoulders. Right. But we try to carry the weight of our world around when God is sitting there just waiting for us to ask like a good father. The father wants to have that intimate relationship with us, speaking to us in a close, soft whisper, so that we can remember who we are, so that we don't have to carry this around anymore. And so that's what he does with Elijah, right? He's telling him, this is, this is what you need to do, but this time you go back on the journey, you won't have that anymore. This time you go back on the journey, you'll remember you are a prophet. And you know, when the prodigal son comes to himself and he walks down the road, he's going through his head what he's going to say to the father. And I can only imagine as Elijah is walking through, he's going through his head what he's going to do. God told me to do this. I'm going to take out Jezebel. God told me to do this take out Jezebel. God told me to do this. I'm going to take out Jezebel because he's not concerned with the fear and the doubt that he was previously concerned about. We can also say that he had a new life at this moment because his encounter with God filled him up with the power and the mindset. But the problem is remembering is the hardest part. Okay? Remembering For us, no matter what it is, is the hardest part, but the hardest remembrance is who we are. Because if you're like me, you see things that need to be fixed or people that need help and you go to them and you ignore yourself and you go sit on the couch and binge watch friends. But you don't take care of yourself as a parent. We're guilty, right? But that's where God comes into play, constantly wanting to whisper in our ear. It may have been a rough day, but you're still my child. It may have been hard, but you can still do this because you're not alone. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Almost done. As Josh says, you might make it to Logan's when the rolls are hot. Even in your victory, remember our Jenga set here, right? Even in your victory, your trophies, your tower that has been built, it cannot replace the foundation that is your identity as a child of God. Because anything less than that is sinking sand. It's just going to fall over. It's gonna have holes built in it. It's just gonna to be toppled down to the ground, and then you're gonna feel like you're gonna to have to pick it up and rebuild it, <laughs> right? Because when something breaks, we feel like we gotta fix it, rebuild it. But that's not where, where God wants us. He wants our foundation to be built upon Him, and that never has to be rebuilt. It just has to be remembered. Okay. Elijah was not able to receive the help of God with the weight of fear and a mind of doubt. But when Yahweh reminded him of who he was and whose he was, he was able to lay down everything he had picked up from Jezebel and move forward in his assignment. God had to send Elijah on a 40 day journey, break off part of a mountain, shake the earth and send fire just to get him to a place of remembrance. The prodigal son had to eat pig slop. Before he came to himself and we may have our faces in the dirt lost and all but given up but when we when we remember we are renewing our minds I texted Josh a few days ago I guess it was last Sunday and um, if you're if you've been part of this church or you've seen the post on Facebook you know that Pastor Josh has done a four part sermon series on the mind of christ and i texted him i said so you won't believe this funny god thing but uh everything he's been speaking to me for the past month has been basically what you've been you know leading up to the mind of christ and so he read this scripture a few weeks ago but it's romans 12 and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to it this way. Do not be confirmed to the patterns of fear and doubt and despair, but be transformed by the remembering of who you are that you may prove what is that perfect and accept- acceptable will of God. That's what Elijah does, right? Right. He's renewing his mind. And Paul, who wrote this, right, who wrote Romans, Paul probably recognized that because he was very uh, knowledgeable in the Torah and in uh, the Old Testament scriptures and prophets. And he probably knew that, but. That that's what this is saying. Because when we remember who we are, we're renewing our minds to get to this new place. And it's not just going to be a one-time thing that you do here and you leave, and you never have to renew your minds again. Because we always need to remember who we are. So when
1: Jonah was
0: smaller, um, he would always try to um, get into the car by himself he, I guess it was a challenge for him. We had a lower car, Nissan Sentra at the time. Um, but once he got in the car, he would still have to pull himself into the car seat, right? And so, uh, he would have his Patsy kind of hanging out of his mouth and he would always Ugh! Uh! try to get up into the car, right? And so we, we would come up behind him and we would say, you can do it. You are strong, right? Sometimes we'd help him. because don't want him to struggle too much right but he would he wanted to he wanted to try and so we would say you are strong you could do it and so he'd get to where he'd get up there a little bit more i am strong i am strong right and then it got to the point uh, at the time melissa helzer had just come up with a song called catch the wind if you don't know it listen to it listen to her story about it because it fits right along with this but we would start singing i am strong and full of life and so he would pull himself up. I am strong. passing hanging out his mouth. And full of life. And then he'd finally, after weeks or however long, he would finally get himself into that car seat and he'd be buckling himself as best he could. And he would sing. I am strong and full of life. No steadfast, no compromise. And that was the song he was singing. We have it on video. Uh, to be able to watch it and hear him say that but listen it may be difficult and it may look like you don't have the strength It may look like you're alone it may feel lonely but hear the whisper telling you the opposite God told Elijah of the remnant and what happened with Elijah was he followed God in bringing Elisha under his wing Eventually, Elisha is the one that when he was surrounded and outnumbered, he has God open the eyes of his servant to be able to see the army of angels surrounding him. Elisha does not have time to doubt and question where he has been put in that battle. He has no army He's outnumbered, right? He has a servant behind him and a servant is shaking in his tube socks. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. And Elisha says, God open his eyes so that he can see what I see. Okay, this is Elisha. That Elijah, after saying he was done with life, hears the voice of God, goes and follows the voice of God and does what God asked him to do and takes Elisha under his wings. This is that same Elisha. That's not going through what Elijah went through, but instead is able to step past the doubt and fear and step into his full calling like that. He doesn't have to go on Elijah's journey, even though he's following Elijah. Listen, when you remember who you are, not only are you able to discard the doubt and fear, but you empower and free the generations ahead of you to always renew and remember who they are. The generations ahead of you will always sing they are strong. And full of life. The generations ahead of you will always see the angels of God surrounding them, ready to give cake when they're hungry, ready to take out the army that's ahead of them, right? They will not question their inheritance, they will not question their identity because of what you went through. Okay? Whew. That was good. I don't care who you. Are. <laughs> All right. So, um, so my um, my dad died a little over uh, nine years ago. He was um, he was sick for a year or two, um, to the point where he was able unable to get out of bed. And for him, he was a, a drama teacher. Um, and so he, he couldn't go to work because he just started passing out at work. It was thyroid issues. And so he was, um, stuck in bed and that coupled with depression, um, he couldn't take it any longer, ended up, um, taking his own life. And so I've been on this roller coaster of grief. I told you, you know, last year, Father's Day was really hard for me. Um, and, I even told Katie, I said, I can't, can't go to church. We just stayed home Father's Day last year. Um, so this is totally different. Um, but I've been on this roller coaster of grief and confusion and sadness over the past nine years. And um, frustration and anger and everything that just comes with grief, you know. Um, and so a year after my dad died, we started coming to True Vine and started attending. A small group with Canby. And I was really able to grow and, you know, I told you the Enneagram has really helped me and that, that um, you know, I was able to grow and be able to, to process some things with that, um, work through those things during the seasons I was going through. But the one big thing I started to think about, probably around the time that Katie um, was pregnant with Jonah, was that I didn't want anyone else in my family to suffer from depression and suicide. Seems obvious, right? But I was able to stand in authority. Stand in the authority that I received by going through that. Because, listen, where your testimony is, that's where your authority is. And so I began to walk in the authority declaring that over my own life and over my family members' lives and everyone that I would come into contact with. All of you. Right? And that we would be free from these things. About uh, in November, uh, you know, no shave November is a big thing. Um, And so, one of the things for no shave November is that you um, don't shave, kind of in um, recognition of men's health and uh, really mental health and uh, cancer and everything like that. And so, there's also a thing called Movember, which you shave everything and you only grow a mustache. And so, I I hate mustaches, just mustaches. If you have one, you look wonderful, look great. But I prefer a full beard on myself because there was one year when we first got married, I shaved completely and um, I did not like it. So uh, I've had the beard for a while, but last November I decided, well, I'm gonna shave and I'm going to raise money for uh, suicide awareness um, for this, uh, not company, this organization that I, I trust called Stay Here, Um, and I recommend giving them a look because one of their, uh, so I grew a mustache and I did all that and raised, I think we raised close to $500 for their organization and they have Suicide Hotline and they have all this other stuff but they sell a, uh, um, they sell merchandise and one of the things said uh, Gen Z will be suicide free. And that's what they declare, is that the generation, the next generation, will be, will not have to experience suicide at all. And for a while, when I read that, I was like, yeah, okay, go ahead and, you know, say that. I hope it's true. But good luck with that. But now, I'm at this point, right? Where if I stand in the authority I've been given, and if I stand in who I am as a child of God, and if I have opportunities like this where I can speak to you and tell you it's okay to be in a place where Elijah was, but listen and see the power and remember who you truly are, then what's going to happen is Gen Z and the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that will never have to experience that type of loss. They will only experience life and life abundantly. And I, you can mark, mark it that Sunday, June 19th, 2022, that it be so, Right, even just right here in this congregation, that our g- generations coming up will not have to experience anything like that. Okay? So I'm going to leave you with two things you can close your eyes you can raise your hands however but I'm going to um, read you what, what I feel like God um, said to me and that I wrote down so I want you to hear the voice of the father this morning you are loved child of God despite the hardships you have gone through All the storms and struggles, betrayals and conflict, hurt and wounds, I have never left you. You are worthy of my love and my goodness. Remember me. Remember what I can do. You've seen it. Remember who you are, strong child of God. Open your eyes to see all the promises fulfilled and waiting. Now is your time to move from despair to hope. You will receive your fullness and the generations to come will reap from your planting and harvest. There is so much more for you. This is the truth. I am the truth. Come to me and give me all of your weight. You don't need to carry that any longer. If you'll just stand up for me. I'm going to prophesy everything that I just kind of prefaced. I want to prophesy and declare over you. I want you to receive it. If you feel like you're going through anything that I said, anything that I said, because I don't feel like God gave it to me, you know, for a month just to say. I don't really like to hear my own voice. So I know it's not just to hear myself talk, okay? So I believe that God gave me this because there are people in here or people connected to you that are struggling mentally. And God is, not only is he the healer of bodies, he is the healer of minds, okay? And so um, if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I would love to talk to you later if, if you have time and want to do that. But I want you to stand in a place. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to stand in a place of recognition of that and of authority with God. I want you to, to be there this morning as I declare this. And if you want to come over, come up, feel free to do so. Um, if we have anybody left that Sarah's up here in the leadership team that wants to come up um uh and pray for people uh please do that and i'll come down as well but um take this as as the word of god Weigh <laughs> it if you want to but i believe this is the prophecy of god this morning for these generations god we declare right now that mental health be completely dissolved and, and and healthy Right now in your name God That depression will not be able to step foot In the vessels that are here Because they are temples of you God They are your temples And where there is light there can be no darkness And so right now we declare God We declare your prophecy God That you said we will live and not die You said that we will live and have life abundant God And we know that means that we will live under the shadow of your wings, God. Because what is there is peace. What is there is joy. And we just release peace and joy in the name of Jesus. We say right now that the voice of Jezebel must be silenced in the name of Jesus. That the serpent no longer has a tongue. To even slither around and to release these lies that we say right now, everyone in here will receive the truth that they are children of God this morning. And if they didn't have ever denied that, God, I, I just ask that you put your hand on their shoulder right now, that they feel you touching them, God, that they feel your warm embrace and that you are not, you are not despised of him. But that they are your children in whom you are well pleased, God. Because you do not keep a scoreboard. Instead, you are the one that runs down the road and picks us up, God. You are the one that clothes us in your righteousness, God. Despite where our feet have been. And we lay it all down at your feet. We cannot carry it any longer. And we thank you for carrying our weight. We thank you for, for causing generations ahead of us. Generations to come. For causing them to always remember. Always know who you are, God. That Jonah and Isaac and Bethany will never, never, never. Feel like they are alone. That all the children, all the generations that come out of here, God, when BBS comes in a few weeks, that they will know that they are children of God. That they are your children, God. Set apart for your goodness. Set apart for your glory. Set apart for your life, God. Thank you so much for your word, Father. Thank you so much for restoration. And thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name.